0: Well, if you would, go ahead and open up with me to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms in chapter 71, Psalm 71. If you're here this morning and you are a guest with us, uh, please know how thrilled we are to have you with us. Uh, You're welcome here anytime, and uh, we certainly hope that you'll be blessed by your time with us this morning. Also, if you're here and you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we have some Bibles provided in the seats in front of you. Please feel free to use one of those. Uh, if you want to use one of those, you'll find our passage this morning on page 484. eighty-four, four eighty-four. And if by chance there's someone in here who doesn't have a Bible that you can read and understand at home, then please feel free to just take the one in the seat in front of you and take it home with you. It's our gift to you because we want you to have A Bible that you can read and understand and know. This morning, I'm returning to a subject that I first preached on uh, seven years ago. But a lot has changed since then. Uh, Some who were kids then are now teenagers, some who are kids now didn't exist. And some of our teenagers then have now moved into true adulthood. And it has been on my heart for several months that I wanted to return to this theme uh, to bring these ideas back before us. And uh, our baptism this morning gave me a, a special opportunity to do that. And so I hope you'll be praying with me that God might be pleased to use this message to save the soul of someone in this room this morning and to do us all spiritual good. So we look at Psalm 71, King David is likely the author of this psalm. David wrote it when he was an old man. He had been walking with God for many, many years, and now he is praying that God will sustain him in these last days of his life. In particular, it sounds as though this psalm was written when David's son Absalom was rebelling against him. Uh, the gist of the psalm is captured in verses 17 and 18. So look there first. This is the, the gist of the psalm. Verse 17. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power... To all those to come. In verse 4 of the psalm, we see that David is praying for God to rescue him from the hand of wicked men. Verses 5 and 6, we learn that David is not calling out on a God he has known for just a little while. But this is a God that David has known since he was young. Uh, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. And so David is an example for us of someone who trusted God and loved God and walked with God even when he was very young. He recognizes that even before he was born, he was in God's hands and dependent upon God. That it was God who ultimately delivered him safely from his mother's womb. But then David walked with God from a young age. And it was God who had been faithful and cared for him to this very day when he's penning this psalm as a man in his old age. Here is why David has confidence. As he calls out to God nearing his dying day. He has seen God's faithfulness to him. As he has walked with God For decade after decade after decade. Uh, The Bible presents to us a number of men who knew God from their youth. David's one example, but so is Samuel, Josiah, and Timothy. And these men were mightily used by God and were remarkable witnesses in their generations. In each of these men, we see the benefits of having come to faith at an early age. And so here is the truth that I want to bring before us this morning. It's very simple. It is a blessed thing to trust Christ in your youth. It is a blessed thing to trust Christ in your youth. Now, while I trust we will all gain from what I'm saying this morning, my focus is particularly on those in this room who are young. So we're going to say everyone from, say, age three who can understand what I'm saying to age 40. Okay, Uh, if you are in the first half of your life, I particularly want you to listen to what I'm going to say this morning. Uh, Young adults, teens. Children, I want you to listen, because this morning's sermon is a call for you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know where all of you are in your hearts. Uh, I don't know how many of you do trust Jesus already and are seeking to follow him and how many of you are not there. But this morning I am speaking directly to you. And my message to you is this. It is a blessed thing, a good thing, a sweet thing, a precious thing to trust Christ now while you are young. If David and Timothy and Josiah and Samuel do not get your attention, think about Jesus himself. Think about how Jesus trusted his father and walked with his God even while he was young. I want you to do the same thing. There are many in this room who came to Christ later in life who would do just about anything if they could be in your shoes and have the opportunity to come to Jesus earlier than they did. This morning I'm going to give you a list. It's a top ten list of sorts. But I want to give you ten reasons from the Bible of why trusting Christ in your youth is a wonderful thing. You ready? Let's jump in. Here we go. Number one, Christ is calling you now. Christ is calling you now. He wants you now. Jesus has not waited until you are 40 or 50 or 60 to call you to salvation. It is on this day that Jesus is calling on you to believe on him. He is calling on you now through this message many of you have been coming to this church now for many months or even many years. And you've heard the gospel preached over and over again to you. And each and every time it is Christ who is blessing you. Because there are billions of people on this earth who have not heard the gospel as you have. Who have never had the opportunity to hear a gospel call. But in God's providence you have. The call to salvation has reached your ears. Jesus has brought this invitation to be his and to follow him to you. And he's bringing it to you now while you are young. Imagine a man coming to a young lady, wanting her to be his wife. And he says to her, I've made every arrangement for us to be married I desire to lead you and to guide you, to protect you and provide for you. I want to cherish you. I want to nurture you. I love you deeply. Take my hand. Follow me. Be mine. Now imagine the young lady looking at that man and saying, yes, I will be yours. But let me wait a few decades first. Let me chase after other things first. Let me spend these younger years of my life pursuing other things. I'm glad you love me. I'm glad you want me to be yours. Maybe when I'm 40, maybe when I'm 50, maybe when I'm 60, then I'll be your wife. What would you think of such a response? And yet, is that how many respond to Christ? Yes, I'll, I'll be a Christian one day. Not yet, not today. And yet he's calling you now. Number two, this issue is the most important that you will ever encounter in your life. In life, there are two roads that are set before you. There is the road of trusting Jesus and following him. And that road leads to eternal life. And there is the road of following your own heart and doing what you desire, which leads to eternal death. And the most important decision you will ever make is which road you will take. And don't think for a moment that you can say, I'll wait till I'm older and then I'll decide. You're already deciding, you've already decided. Every moment of every day, you are choosing either to follow Christ and trust him or to not and to follow your own heart on the path that leads to destruction. It is sheer grace that Christ is giving you an opportunity now to turn away from your sins, to turn your back on the path you've been walking and to hop onto the path that leads to heaven. It is unwise to put off or neglect something that is this important. How many people die every year because they have a pain in their chest or some ailment in their body and they refuse to deal with it? They don't want to go see a doctor. They don't want the uncomfortable experience of being poked and probed. And so their cancer or their heart disease or whatever it is, it goes unchecked and they die How many more are there who know deep down that something is wrong with their soul? You know deep down that you are not in good standing with God, but you just don't want to deal with the issue. You would rather ignore it. You would rather keep your mind dwelling on lesser things, passing things, rather than deal with this crucial matter. And yet the great physician of your soul is calling you. He has a diagnosis for your problem. It's called sin. He has a prognosis for your problem. God's righteous wrath is going to come upon you. But he also has a prescription for your problem. It's called applying his blood to your soul. All you have to do is turn to Him. Trust Him. Stop living your life your own way. Trust that He loves you more than you love yourself. He's smarter than you. He's wiser than you. And He cares for you deeply. And so submit yourself to Him and follow Him. And His blood will be applied to you and you will be right with God. Don't neglect the great physician of your soul. Number three. Heaven and hell are realities. This isn't a game we're playing. Heaven is real. Hell is real. If you're not a Christian, do you understand what is ahead of you? Have you come to feel your sin before a holy, holy, holy God? (coughs) Why would you not be weeping? Why would you not be willing to do absolutely anything to escape the horrors of hell? Would it help if you could hear the screams of those who are in agony already? Would it help if you could feel something of their suffering? Jesus has spoken in the most clear terms. Jesus spoke of those who would be cast into hell. He talked about it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't like thinking about it. I don't like bringing that to you. But I am a messenger. Jesus talked more about hell than any other subject. Which means it must be really, really important to think about (laughs) Do you understand that that is the future ahead of you because of your sin, if you will not repent? Not because God is a wicked God, but because God is a good God and we are wicked. Number four. Your future is not guaranteed. That is, there is no guarantee that you will be alive this evening. There is no guarantee that you will be alive tomorrow. Christ is calling you to follow him now. So let's let's try another picture. Imagine that you're in a locked room. It's an empty room. You cannot get out. And slowly, little by little, the temperature is increasing. And each and every moment that you stay in that room, it gets hotter and hotter. And you know, if you stay in that room, you will die. There is a voice on the other side of the door, the voice of Christ. And he says, dear sinner, I have unlocked the door. Come out to me and be saved. Come out to me. What in the world would make you stay in that room? What in the world would make you say, let me stay here a while longer. When I'm ready, I'll come to you. What if you wait too long? Young people, are you waiting to come to Christ? And if so, why? You know the story of the frog in the pot. You put a frog in boiling water and he'll jump out. But put the frog in cool water. Slowly increase the heat. He'll stay in until he dies. In the same way, the Gospel of John says that all people who are not trusting Christ are already under condemnation. This moment, dear unbeliever, you are already under the wrath of God. And every moment that you stay outside of Christ in your room of blindness and darkness, you come a step closer to the wrath of a holy God being poured out upon you in hell. Don't stay separated from Christ. Don't be foolish. The mercies of God. God is like Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. He is good, but He is not tame. He is a God of love. But He is also a God of righteousness. And at some point, the cup of your sins will be filled to the brim. And God's patience with you will end. And hell will begin. So don't put this off. Your future is not guaranteed. You don't know when your day of death will come. I was talking to my family on the way here this morning about Charlotte Fox. Charlotte Fox, one of the the leading female mountain climbers in the world. She had climbed Mount Everest. She had climbed the Seven Summits. She had just turned 61. And in the last two years, she had climbed two more mountains that were over 8,000 meters in elevation past week she had a party at her house where they were planning their next climb and she slipped down her stairs and died you just don't know you don't know and so don't presume repent while you can turn to Christ while you can number five refusing to trust Christ when you are young makes it harder to trust him when you are older Do you know that that refusing to trust Christ when you are young makes it harder to trust him when you're older? Because every day you live apart from Christ, refusing to follow him, you're living in sin. You're sinning all the time because Romans 14 says whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And it's not having faith that makes you an unbeliever. And so everything you're doing in the eyes of God is ultimately sin and sin hardens the heart. Sin calluses the conscience. Sin makes you less tender to the things that matter most. Every day of unbelief is another day which walks you further down the path that leads you further away from Jesus. Young people, surely you have seen that the older people get, especially if they're not mature Christians, the more they tend to become stubborn and set in their ways. Your soul is like slowly drying cement. And if you continue rejecting Christ for so long, your heart will harden that way. You will become more stubborn towards calls to Christ. Today, you are in church. Keep walking the path of rejecting Jesus and you probably will not be in church when you are older. And you won't hear these gospel messages anymore. You will indulge yourself in trivial things. You will spend your Sundays in worldliness. Preachers will be in pulpits. Pleading for souls on Sunday. Calling for your salvation. But you won't hear it. You'll be out on a boat in the reservoir. My grandparents have a friend who lives right over there. Who grew up in church. Who sat in Sunday school. Who heard the gospel. But he rejected that gospel. He hasn't been to church in years. And he won't come. An avowed atheist. He hardened in his unbelief. Will that be you in 50 years? Young person. Don't keep walking the descending staircase that takes you farther, farther away from Christ. Number six. He will keep you from so many sins and their painful consequences. If you trust Christ while you're young, he will keep you from so many sins and their painful consequences. I mentioned earlier that there are many in this room who wish that they had followed Jesus from an earlier age. That's because when we follow Jesus and we pay attention to his word and we submit our hearts to what he says, it is well for us. Jesus is not a shabby shepherd. Jesus is not an incompetent shepherd. He is a good shepherd. Choosing to go another way, to do what you want to do instead of what Christ says, that leads to painful consequences. Do you just say whatever comes to your mind and think there won't be consequences? People will get hurt. Will do great harm. Do you think you can indulge in the stuff of this world? Things that are immoral and it won't affect you? If you continue to pollute your heart and mind, you will become a pollution to everyone in your life. Do you think you can hang around whoever you want to hang around and there not be consequences? Get too involved with ungodly people and you will find yourself committing sins that at one time you thought you would never commit. Maybe a young person, you sit in this room this morning and you think, I would never get involved in sexual immorality. Maybe you're a young person and you think, I will never give myself to drunkenness. I will never have a vulgar mouth. I will never be one of those hateful, bitter people that walk around with that evil attitude. But folks, how do you get there? How did people who struggle with these things get to that point? They just followed their hearts. They did what they wanted to do instead of trusting Christ. These things will hurt you. These are landmines that will destroy you. By God's grace, there are some in this room who did come to know Jesus while they were young. And though they certainly had their share of sins, thankfully, Jesus also spared them from many others. Because they were praying, because they were reading their Bible and learning the truth while they were young, they didn't indulge in some of the painful things that their friends did. Because Jesus had won their hearts, they refused to participate in certain sins, and God spared them those consequences. Young people, you can be spared from so much misery. If you will just hear this and take it seriously. Number seven, you can be of great use to Christ right now while you are young. We live in a culture that more or less cultivates immaturity. The television shows for young people, the music, the overall culture of adolescence, it is pervaded by immaturity and irresponsibility. Young people are wasting their lives on who likes who and what's cool and what's not. and Everybody wants to be unique and yet fit in, to be special and yet to be part of a clique. But not everyone. Because actually there are a few rare young people who have found all that they need in Christ. And while their peers are wasting their lives on teenage foolishness, these special young folks are living radically for Jesus and seeking to change the world. I learned something back in the days when I was a youth minister. I learned that even 6th, 7th, and 8th graders can get a glimpse of the glory of God and begin to care about important things deeply. I saw students who were hungrier for the Bible, students who seemed to care for their friends and longed to see them one to Christ to a degree more than many of the adults in the same church. Some of these students would stay up way longer than they probably should have, talking about End times and Calvinism and theology, but also how to make a difference in the world for Jesus. Young people, you can be of use to Christ right now. Frankly, I praise God for the caliber of young men and women I've been watching so many of our young people become. I am thankful that we have a unique number of young people in our church who have not bought into the lies of our culture but are different. Teens, do you know how our culture belittles you? When parents tell us that they have teenagers in the home, we're expected to pity them. Oh, you have a teenager? I'm so sorry. That must be hard. We're supposed to assume that all teenagers have a rebellious anger that must be expressed. Teenagers have no respect for authority. Teenagers make foolish choices. Teenagers are prone to smoking and drinking and drug abuse and sexual immorality. Teenagers are engrossed in media and worldliness. They're not capable of maturity. They're not capable of important things. It's a lie. Our culture says that teenagers and wisdom are incompatible. That teenagers and true submission are incompatible. That teenagers in purity are incompatible. That teenagers in seriousness are incompatible. That teenagers in responsibility. Teenagers in faithfulness are incompatible. Have you believed that lie, young person? Do you know that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? That you don't have to be like so many around you in our culture. Um, We've talked about this before. I'll just remind you of some of these truths from the past. George Washington mastered geometry, trigonometry, and surveying by age 16 and was already out on the Virginia wilderness as a surveyor. His fellow peers considered him not to be very bright. By age 17, he was the official surveyor for Culpeper County, Virginia, He traveled through unsettled territories as a frontiersman, measuring and recording unmapped territories. His tools for measuring were heavy logs and chains. He was doing a man's job, and he was doing so because he was a man. At age 22, Washington was a lieutenant colonel. At 23, Washington was the commander-in-chief of the entire Virginia militia. David Farragut was 10 years old when he began serving as a naval cadet on the warship Essex. And at age 11, he was in his first battle. At age 12, he was given command of the ship. Clara Barton, founder of the American Red Cross, began training as a nurse at age 11, took her first nursing position at age 14. Uh, Louis Braille, who was blind, invented the first Braille system of reading at age 12. Mozart started composing at age 7. Andrew Jackson was fighting for America's independence at 14. Davy Crockett started exploring the frontier at age 12. Audie Murphy won 33 combat and other service decorations all before he turned 20. 33 combat and service decorations for fighting before he turned 20. John Newton was sailing slave ships with his father at age 11, a profession he would later repent of. John Owen graduated college at 16, earned his master's degree at 19, and that was not uncommon in his day. Age 6, Henry Alford wrote a small book called The Travels of St. Paul. By age 8, he had penned a collection of Latin odes. Not long after turning 9, he compiled a history of the Jews. At age 10, he produced a series of sermons called Looking Unto Jesus. So the youth of the past were fighting battles and writing books and making music and coming up with inventions and exploring the frontier. Many of them held jobs in society and were treated as adults and not as children. Adults in this room. Compared to these I've mentioned, you might be thinking that our young people seem rather immature today. Can I suggest it's not mainly their fault? We are the ones who tell our teenagers, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. And then we're amazed when they actually make their bed. Frederick here, a historian, writes about what life was like around the year 1800. He says, around 1800, young people of both sexes could reckon on being considered adults as soon as the outward signs of puberty made their appearance. Girls were of marriageable age at 15, Boys could join the Prussian army as officers at age 15. Among the upper classes, entry to university or to their profession was possible at age 15. It is interesting that throughout most of history and still in many cultures today, young men and women married once they reached their teenage years. Many of these couples had multiple children that they were raising and caring for by age 20. Today, we think our teenagers are far too immature to handle marriage and parenting. And you're probably right. They are, but they're not too immature for biological reasons. They're immature because we have not expected them to rise to challenges. We have not equipped them to be young adults and to take responsibility. So all of this is to say that teenagers who come to Christ can be different from what you see in the culture around you. That Christ has the power to equip you to achieve levels of maturity and responsibility and making a difference in this world that is beyond what probably we even expect or think is possible. Teens, if you come to Christ now while you are young, you can dream big and God can do things through you that are amazing. Let's go quickly. Number eight. You can lay a great foundation today for future usefulness. In other words, not only can you be useful to Christ today if you trust Him while you're young, but you can begin laying a foundation in these younger years for even greater usefulness when you're older. If you begin while you're young to learn Christian truth, to memorize Scripture, to hide God's Word in your heart now, it will serve you when you are older. Begin now while you were young to learn how to care for people, to love people, to talk to people about important things with seriousness so that you'll be well practiced when you're older. Number nine, trust Christ while you're young so that you can have a greater reward in heaven. Christians are commanded to store up treasures in heaven. And we do this by living for eternal things. We do this by giving ourselves to loving others, serving God and obeying Christ. Start young and you'll have a greater reward. Waste your youth on things that are passing and when you die, you'll have nothing from all those wasted years. Spend your youth on things that matter. And when you die, the fruit of what you did in faith will last into eternity. And then finally, number 10. And this is really the whole point that David's making in Psalm 71. It is a great thing to die having walked with God for a lifetime. Young people, listen to this. It is a sweet, sweet thing to die knowing that the God you are about to meet is the God you have walked with from your youth. David, in his old age, had an intimate relationship with God that had been developed over his whole life, beginning when he was young. Here is one friend who will always be with you. Here is a companion for your entire life. Christ will never leave you. Christ will never forsake you. Why not go to him now, walk with him now, talk to him now, learn from him now, be a companion to Christ now. You can spend the entire rest of your life with Christ. And when you die, the savior that you are calling out to while you are on your deathbed to receive your spirit, he will not be a stranger to you. He will be your precious Lord who you have walked with and known deeply for generations. It is a sweet, sweet thing. I hope you will consider it. And so young people, here are 10 reasons why you should imitate David's example and trust Christ while you are young. Hear each one. Let each one resound in your heart. And by grace, go to Christ today and resolve to trust Him and follow Him all the days of your life. Trust Christ now because it is a great thing to die having walked with God for a lifetime. Trust Christ now so that you can have greater rewards in heaven. Trust Christ now because you can be useful to Christ now. Trust Christ now because you can lay a foundation today for future usefulness. Trust Christ now because he will keep you from so many sins and their painful consequences. Trust Christ now because refusing to do so will make it harder to trust him in the future. Trust Christ now because a future opportunity is not guaranteed. Trust Christ now because heaven and hell are realities. Trust Christ now because this is the most important issue you will ever encounter. And trust Christ now because he is calling you now. May every one of us run to Christ in faith and walk with him as our Lord and dearest friend. Amen? Amen.